We'll is just... my audio okay? Yeah, you sound great. You sound great. Okay. Well, welcome back to season two of Preacher Lab. And this week we have John Shugart, who's the pastor of Lena Vista UMC in Auburndale, Florida. John, thanks for being here for our first episode of season two. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm excited to to be on the podcast. No pressure for the first one. Right. <laughs> so Let's just start off. Uh, tell us where you're headed. What are you preaching on this week? Um, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, I'm talking about um, preaching on Psalm 82, um, which talks a lot about God's justice. Been kind of doing a, a sermon series about the means of grace. So moving from sort of the, the personal things that we can do and then moving through the social things and then talking about works of mercy and works of justice and how Loving God and loving people means working towards God's justice in the world. What what made you go in in that direction? Well, I just I just started this new appointment at Lena Vista, and after doing some of like the my call story, um, those kind of introductory sermons, I just wanted to get back to some basics and talk about the United Methodist Church and our theology and our history and those kind of things, just to kind of lay a foundation as I start out my appointment there. So I know, I know before Lena Vista, you were serving a church as a student pastor. Um, what's been the, has there been a difference of starting as a senior pastor or as a student pastor and then moving to this church? And like, did you kind of preach the same thing when you first started? When I, when I started as a student pastor in Durham, I think that um, the difference was probably they had had student pastors. So the expectation was sort of set in place the past 10 years. So I, I started kind of with my call story and some introductory stuff. But then I just I sort of just moved right into lectionary preaching and just kind of followed that pattern for a while. I think I that church was used to having a student and uh, I think so that made sense just to kind of fit in the flow of worship every Sunday preaching from the lectionary and stepping in here it's a part-time appointment and in Lena Vista and they've had retired pastors they've had different people over the years so I don't think that there was any I think I was able to kind of uh set my own agenda a little bit more about what I wanted to preach and, and felt a little bit more comfortable just kind of taking the reins a little bit more of kind of the schedule. Yeah. So are you, did you enjoy preaching lectionary or do you feel like you have more freedom now or was it like a, do you like both or? I like both. I really like to preach the lectionary. And I think when I started out at my first appointment in Durham, they had just come through some um, a bad transition with with a student pastor, and so they were kind of in uh, a little bit of a moment of chaos. And I feel like the lectionary just allows you to uh, kind of move through uh, a kind of routine schedule um, without any sort of you know agenda or theme or topic. And and so I think that worked in that situation. And I think here. Um, at my at my new appointment, I, I think it was important to kind of lay out some foundational things, just who we are, where we're going, and um, and I think that they were ready for that. 
um, at this new appointment. It's so, oh, that's that's really. I'm writing notes. Um, it's interesting that the lectionary for you, the lectionary kind of served served as this like stability um, of this church has gone through transition and a hard whoever the pastor before you like some some difficulty and some and and the lectionary just served as stability because it's yeah. something that happens. You have the same text every three years, and that and that church. Had a has a history of having senior pastor or having student pastors who kind of, I mean, that's just really interesting to me. Yeah, I I think um, the consistency of the lectionary offers us kind of a a rhythm to to kind of settle in at different places without kind of jumping into. Um, you know, here's the 10 sermon series I'm going to talk about for the next 10, you know, you know, 10 cycles of whatever. I think the the lectionary, yeah, I think it does provide that kind of stability because it's the same. People kind of know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So when you're preaching on mercy and justice this week, um, what is your process from sitting down, reading the scripture to Sunday morning, whatever, what time, is it 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock? And 1030. <laughs> right in the middle, 1030. Right in the middle, yep. What does that um, process look like? Yeah, I, I was thinking about my process, and my preaching professor at Duke was um, Dr. Jerusha Neal, and her sort of metaphor for preaching is this, uh, it's called conceive, bear, and name. And so it's it's this idea of starting with the Holy Spirit in the text and then taking it out into the world and sort of carrying it around and then coming to a point where you can um, name, uh, make a claim or a promise about your text. And so that's sort of the process that I've tried to, to follow. And I guess practically what that looks like for me is starting by reading the text early in the week and reading it a couple of times and jotting down some notes. I think having this sermon series of the means of grace kind of gives me a little bit more direction starting out than I would if I was just starting with a, a random text or a lectionary text. But then I just kind of sit with it for a couple of days and try to think about it in different places through conversations. Um, and then do you, At that do, you, point, do, you, do you read it in different translations? Do you read it in one translation? Is it, do you have it like, is it in a Bible? Is it like, be, I'm just curious about the specifics. I think it's just really interesting. Yeah, I, I try to read a couple different translations. Um, something I've tried to do um, and tried to do is print out one translation from um, the internet on a piece of paper and then just write all the notes kind of in the margin. Um, but yeah, reading in different translations, trying to kind of pick up different, you know, things I see. Um, but yeah, once I do that, I'll, I'll, I kind of know what I'm going to say, um, at that point. And then I'll usually do like an outline. And then sometimes I write a manuscript and other times I'll just use a pretty heavy outline. Um, but I'm always trying to work towards, you know, what Dr. Neil says, this promise, like the one kind of sentence that is a claim about, um, about the text and kind of builds a sermon around that. Okay. So you're, you're, you're really trying to figure out like that. What's that one nugget of gold? Yep. Um, okay. 
So then yeah. let's say you have your your notes or your manuscript. Uh, I, I guess what makes it change? Like, how do you know you need to write a full manuscript? How do you need to, how do you know you have like a heavy outline? I, w I was thinking about it and I don't know. I, I just kind of switch back and forth. I think if I feel really comfortable about what I'm going to say, I'll do sort of a heavy outline and just kind of have some key maybe transition points or things I want to mention. And then if it's, you know, with school going on and a two-year-old, I think sometimes, you know, if I'm writing later in the week, I will write a full manuscript. And so I have, uh, can feel a little bit more comfortable in the pulpit that I have those, have those thoughts fully written out. Okay. So you have your manuscript, then what, is there a rehearsal time? Is there like a, like a dress rehearsal or? I usually, um, try to practice it. I usually try to practice it on Saturday night or early Sunday morning. I was, I was thinking about practicing when my daughter was really young, I would get up for church early and she would be up and I'd put her in her high chair and make breakfast and be practicing. And I can remember a couple of times that she was like giggling and that's, you know, a real confidence boost while you're practicing your sermon out loud. So yeah, I, I try to, you know, I try to rehearse it out loud a couple of times. Okay. And then when you're like the moment of, um, are you behind the pulpit? Are you standing out? Do you move? I like to preach from behind a pulpit and at the two churches I've been at, they've been more traditional. So they have kind of a, a stationary pulpit. I will. Um, and so I, I like that. I like to stand behind it. If the, if it's a space where there's not kind of a, a, a designated like preaching area, um, I'll usually put, you know, notes on like a music stand and, and I'll feel more comfortable kind of moving around in that space. But I, I, I like preaching from a pulpit. So it sounds like, I mean, you're very in tune with the context in which you're preaching. So the church that you went to as a student pastor knew what was going on there and that impacted what you preached on the church you're at now, there's a little more stability. So how do we build on that stability? And that's the context or the way in which you actually preach itself. If there is a pulpit, if it is traditional, there's this like context of, or expectation of this is how the preacher preaches. So you're very much like uh, fill in what, what the congregation needs at that time. I think so. You, you know, you sent me a question about, you know, what's it like actually preaching as a student pastor versus taking a preaching course. And I think that's one of the key differences is that context. Um, you know, it was helpful early on taking a preaching course with just other student pastors because we were able to uh, really dig into what it meant to be preaching every Sunday and be in seminary. And so that was like really formational for me. But I think it's it's easy in seminary in preaching class to think that you're supposed to preach one way, like highly, um, highly theological, highly academic or scholarly, or, you know, highly prophetic. But when you go into like a local church, you kind of have to, you have to balance that with the space and with who the people are. And so that's, that contextual piece is really important to me of kind of 
knowing where I am, knowing the space, what it kind of calls for and not trying to, um, you know, fit a round peg into a square hole kind of. Yeah. Can you think of any moments where you're like, where, where you preach and you're like, Oh, I hit it right on the head. Like that was, that was the, that was the money sermon. Or can you think (laughs) of any, any moments where like you had, you had this idea and seminary kind of ingrained this in you and you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then you did it. And it was like, it was a flop. Uh, yes, I, well, so this is like one, it was the same Sunday. So I was preaching at, um, my wife, Emily's church, and I was doing it to fill in for a Sunday that she couldn't preach, but I was also doing it, hoping to record my ordination sermon off (laughs) of it, uh, for the board. And I, so I had to preach two, two different, um, services And the first one I hadn't preached in a long time. And I went for like 30 minutes. And for me, that's, that's not where I want to be. I want to be 14 to 20 um, and 25. It's maybe like a, you know, big Sunday or something. But so I I just kind of went for it. And after the service, my wife just said like, that was longer than you normally preach. And I was like, yeah, I felt like I was, you know, maybe rusty or whatever, but it was because I was trying to fit so many different kind of theological ideas, or I was trying to hit all the different things. And so for the next service, I cut out a bunch of stuff, you know, in between. And then I felt like it really tightened up. And I think it was, I kind of leaned back into who is this congregation? What do they really need to hear? What are, what are the things that I can take out? Yeah. And and I'm sure you I'm I'm sure that 30 minute sermon you practiced like it's not like I mean, you yeah. you probably talked to Stevie while she was in her high chair right but, but I I mean and I've found that when I actually preach it in the moment like I can do as much as I want um, practicing rehearsing but when I preach it in the moment that's when I realize if something works or something doesn't um, yeah so I'm like you could you get the the congregation's feel you can feel the space. And you're like, oh, that went really well, or nope, <laughs> that that did not work. There was no yeah. laughs there except mine. Uh, right. And I, I'm sure you kind of felt that too. The very that very first time of like, oh, that was way too long. Uh, I rambled a little bit there. Uh, and you just have that feel, I guess. I, I don't know. That's my experience. Yeah. No, I I think it for for that sermon. It was like some of the some of like the illustrations or references I used, I just, I just could tell they weren't landing. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was just kind of a, a a good experience of remembering, like, it's important to, to think about who you're preaching to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's your kind of your, your niche, your, your thing, your, because I think every preacher has their own gift. You have, you have preachers who are absolutely hysterical, um, mm-hmm. not my gift. You have some preachers who are just incredibly able to just use these beautiful words and like pick the perfect word. And that, that, that's their niche. Do you think like knowing the context is kind of your, your niche, your thing? I think so. I was, I was thinking about that and just trying to think about sort of my journey with preaching and starting you know, a couple years ago as a student pastor, just jumping right into preaching. And 
Yeah, I think that thinking about the context and the audience is is really important to me and um, try, trying my best to keep things simple. Uh, I think something that I've learned is when I try to overcomplicate it because I'm trying to prove that I know something or prove that I'm, you know, competent as a preacher. Those are the sermons I feel like that, that definitely don't go as well for me. And so I've, I've really tried to think about audience, but also keeping things simple, whether I'm preaching in, you know, Goodson Chapel at Duke to a room full of professors and seminary students, or, you know, like a sixth grade confirmation service. I, I, I think, yeah, that trying to keep it simple and contextual is important to me. Yeah. And I, I know watching you preach, you do a really good job of, of not only keeping it contextual for the congregation. I mean, as I'm hearing you talk, I don't know the congregation, but you're explaining it to me and where they're at, but also the context and the time period in which you were preaching in. So like I watched you preach an Easter sermon during COVID and you talked about, you know, uh, some good things, the John Krasinski show. And like, I think that had just come out like two weeks beforehand and it was on the news and good morning America or whatever. Right. And like, you have a way of, of connecting the context of the local, local church, um, but also connecting with the context of the whole of the world of, yeah, I see this is happening. I'm going to add this in. And this is what people are talking about. Some good news. And if they're talking about Ted Lasso, you're going to add Ted Lasso into that conversation. Right. So that's what I notice when you preach as well. Yeah. I think for me, part of that is like, I'm a, I don't have like one hobby or like one specific interest that I'm always sort of, you know, that takes up my time. I'm like a YouTube rabbit hole guy. Like one day, maybe watching like an hour of like, coaching football techniques and then doomsday prepping, like just, just like a wide reach of weird things. And I think by doing that, it gives me like a wider kind of, I I think it's important for me to try to figure out, okay, I'm not going to be the guy who's always referencing Disney movies, but some people like Disney movies, or I'm not always going to be making sports references because some people are artists and not sports people. So trying to have like a wide range of things that I pay attention to. And I I think it is important to, again, back to like context, what are other people consuming and watching and how can that be a kind of connection point into a bigger idea? Oh yeah. So it's, it's, I hear you saying you're just really, you're really curious about things like You'll go down this one rabbit hole, which leads you to this rabbit hole, which leads you to this documentary, which leads you to, I don't know, some some experience in Orlando. And you're like, yeah, I'm going. OK, right. And uh, how do you where where do you where do you keep all? So where do you keep all this information? So like you I'm sure you've experienced all of these things. Uh, like what do you like you you see something interesting what what do you do with that? Like, do you put it somewhere? Is it just sitting in your brain? And then it's like, oh yeah, that I, I'm talking about John, John three. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. What do you do with that? Well, if I'm honest, I'm not a very organized person. So I don't have, I think I listened to you on one podcast saying you have like a camera roll or notes full of like different sermon illustrations and thing that catch your attention and you'll take a picture of it. I wish I had something like that, but I, 
I think it comes back to that conceiving, bearing, naming thing where it's, you know, you're carrying the text with you and then things kind of come across while you're bearing it in the world, while you're carrying it around with you. And so I'll sometimes have like a Word document open on, you know, Google Docs or something. And if I see something, I'll, I'll try to go put it in there like in an outline or, but sometimes it just is like, as things pop into my head, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, um, this is going to work this week or, Ooh, this would be a good idea for another time. And, and hopefully I'll remember it, but sometimes, (laughs) sometimes it just, you know, goes away. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious. So you've got, let's say you start on Monday or Sunday or whatever day it is that you read your text and you're kind of conceiving it and then you're burying it around the world. When you actually sit down to write that manuscript or write that outline, like, is that when those things come out? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember talking about mercy and justice. And it reminded me of my experience two weeks ago of somebody who was homeless being cared for or something. Is it in that writing point that you're like, oh, that's really makes sense? Or I think so. So for this week, uh, specifically, I just happened last week we were talking about next week's a fifth Sunday. So we do, you know, children's home as a special offering. And I was thinking about, Ooh, like that, that would line up really well with justice and talking about, you know, God's preference for the poor and for widows and for orphans. And so this, uh, the children's home Sundays are important in this context. And I was like, I think that's kind of my way into talking about justice is, you know, looking at the little envelopes as I'm walking into the service that say children's home. And then that's kind of the, okay, I need to plug this in later. But I think for as far as sitting down to write, I think that the work during the week gives me kind of the illustrations. But then what I'm really trying to focus on when I'm writing is that promise and trying to get that one sentence kind of down so that I know that really well and, and saying that, uh, as clearly as I can. Yeah. So it's real. it's almost like you have this massive amount of stuff and you're like mm-hmm. trying to distill it all down into what is that one thing? Right. And I think that's where, you know, back to that one sermon example, it's like, I had all of this stuff and I didn't distill it down. And I, yeah. those are kind of the bad weeks, right? When you yeah. end up writing on Saturday night late, it's like, you don't have enough time to to funnel it down. So that's back to that curiosity, collecting data points. But I think the the hard work is trying to figure out what sh- what should make it in and what shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you're preaching at Lena Vista, wh- what are you learning about yourself now? What are you learning about your preaching? One thing that I've been kind of wrestling with as so I'm in seminary. So I'm like kind of inundated in this world of like, we all know the Bible stories and we all are kind of pushing into these scholarly, you know, writings and all these things, trying to, trying to, you know, kind of wrestle with what it means to also be somebody who can preach to folks who don't have any sort of institutional knowledge or biblical literacy and what that looks like. because my church, Lena Vista, is a mostly older congregation who have probably been in church for a long time. So I don't want to say things like, 
if you're not familiar with this passage, if it's a really familiar passage of scripture, because I don't want to be uh, insulting to the the depth of their kind of like Christian discipleship, but also like we're in a time in, in, in the church where I think that there's going to be more and more people who didn't go to Sunday school and hear the story of the good Samaritan. So when we get up and preach and say, this will be a familiar passage to a lot of you. What does it mean to be in a place where that's not the case? And I've just been wrestling with that a lot. And that's been a big question of how do I introduce scripture? How do I talk about scripture in a way that's accessible, but doesn't um, take away from people kind of where they are and honors sort of their, their own journey? Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so much there. Um, yeah, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that because I think it's something our generation is definitely going to have to embrace and and confront, really. Yeah, because on one hand, you have individuals who have been in the church for sixty years, and and they've gone through the lectionary twenty times, um, like, and and they've heard many of these stories. And how do you make it new and interesting and and like flip the parable upside down for them um, on one hand. But on the other hand, you have newer individuals to faith that they're like, I, I, I don't know the Good Samaritan story. I don't, who is, who is the woman at the well? Uh, I, I, what does that mean? Is she just getting a drink? Uh, like, I think you have to, it seems like there's a chasm between those two and you're trying to speak to both at the same time. Exactly. And it's, it's, Again, going back to context, and I know I've been kind of uh, using that word a lot, but this context is is older people who have been in the church for a long time. So I can, I guess, make statements like, you know, this is going to be a familiar passage to a lot of you, but also trying to thinking about graduating from seminary and going into full-time ministry, wanting to be a preacher that is is talking to people who are new to the faith and and what that looks like how to do kind of both yeah so what what are the what are the ways in which these old these passages that many many of your church members know so like the good, good samaritan if that comes up in in lectionary or that comes up like what are the ways in which you make these stories come alive again like or or paint them with a different stroke what what are the what has been your experience I think, you know, jumping ahead a little bit to one of the other questions that you kind of sent as I was preparing for this was what sermons have made an impact on you when you've listened. And I'm, I think I told you before, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a sermon watching nerd. Like I will go (laughs) on Sunday afternoon after I preach and sort of peek in on Facebook to different people and see what they're saying. And I, I really like to listen to sermons because I love to preach and I like to hear other people preach. And something um, that has been impactful for me is when somebody takes a word or phrase from uh, a passage of scripture and then is able to sort of weave that through in a creative way to their whole sermon. And so for these familiar passages, is there a word or a phrase in the Good Samaritan passage that might have been overlooked or not explored, and I'm sure someone's explored it, but have I not explored it yet, where 
where that can become sort of this thread that goes through the whole thing in a new and kind of creative way. Yeah. Cause some of these, these stories, you kind of, you think, you know, it, and right. like you read the good Samaritan, but then you see that word, that phrase, that image, or, or you see the character that you've never noticed before. Like, exactly what, what's that donkey's point of view or whatever um right and like and then that just that it it paint it just gives, gives you a new color a new frame of reference um mm-hmm. yeah oh, i love that i love that oh man but it's it, it's also challenging too because when you think about easter you think about christmas like those come every year um and it's like what do you uh Okay, he's risen. (laughs) Right. No, I was I was actually thinking about one thing I wish that there was in seminary. I think there could be a whole class on those Easter, Christmas Eve, Trinity Sunday. Like, what do you say when when it's already been said, when it's already when you don't have any flexibility? I just think that that would be such an interesting um, class because it is it is a daunting task to get up and read. you know, the, the Easter story, and then try to think of something unique and creative when you're supposed to proclaim the resurrection. And, uh, and so I think that would be, I would love if, if somebody would come up with a class like that or some materials on that, because that's a great idea. That's a great, I love it. Uh, because I mean, uh, yes, it's one of I would say it's one of my favorite ones. I mean, it's hard because you're trying to, you're reading this text again. You're like, okay, this is the ninth time I've preached this. This is the 10th mm-hmm. time. Um, and it's like, do I really want to do this again? And I'm, I'm early in this. So I'd imagine it, you know, in 20 years, I'm like, okay, I've done this 30 times. <laughs> right. Pull, here's my, here's my Christmas Eve sermon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's not, that's not fair or right for the people who are showing up and, and that's not honoring your story, your experience. Um, but on the same time, like people are expecting that. So you can like pull the rug out from under them. <laughs> oh, yeah, you think we're gonna talk about Easter? No, we're not gonna start there. We're gonna we're gonna start right. in, I don't know, Judges 12. And then we'll tie <laughs> that back into Easter. So right. there's also a, a a huge advantage there because you know what people are expecting. Mm-hmm. But it's also very difficult because pulling Judges 12 into you know Easter is <laughs> that's tough. That would be really hard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, are there any other final thoughts for preachers who are listening? Um, anything we didn't cover that you're like, hey, if I'm listening to this podcast right now, this is what I want to hear. I think some of the best advice that I got, again, going back to that first semester of divinity school uh, in this student pastor preaching class was from my professor. I I really thought that I had preached a good sermon for this assignment and we had to go in and watch it back and get feedback. And there was, I had read some really long quote and I read it out of a book because we didn't have screens. And I was, you know, head down reading out of this book. She just said, you lost people there. And for me, that was like, Whoa, like I thought this was like a really great quote and that it would help my sermon. And she kind of just, took me through this process of saying like, you're the preacher, like people want to hear what, you know, God is saying through you. And so that was really helpful early on for me to hear because not that reading long quotes is bad and I'm not disparaging anybody who 
you know, is, is someone who likes to quote different scholars or books or theologians, but she, she just said, you lost people there. And that was really important for me to hear. And it was important for me early on trying to develop confidence in my voice because it was, it was important to hear like people want to hear you and what you have to say and the work you've done and and the message God has given you for, for your people, because you're the preacher. And that's obviously that's a journey and that's something I've been working on, but that was really helpful advice for me was that, you know, as you develop your voice and your preaching style, like people want to hear you. And, um, and so I think that would be, if I could pass along a piece of advice I've given, that would be it. I love it. People want to hear God through you. Not they didn't come to hear quotes being read or, or a 10 minute video of somebody else. Like they're here just to hear God through you. I, ah, I love that. That'll be in the title for sure. Oh. All right. Well, John, um, I've got one more question, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time, um, for sharing your experience, your wisdom, um, the gift that you have of knowing the context of your congregation, the context of the time and space in which you preach. I mean, that's just, that's such a gift. It's so important. Um, yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing who else is on season two and excited <laughs> to listen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. All right. So the final question, um, what has been an impactful book for you uh, in the last six months? Fiction, nonfiction, children's book. Uh, you can even, if you want to say movie, uh, what has been one one thing that has been impactful to you? Between school and turning in ordination paperwork and having a two-year-old, I have not done a lot of reading outside of that environment. Uh, so I won't bore anybody with a school book. Um, <laughs> so the uh, the the book from my preaching professor, Dr. Jerusha Neal, is called The Overshadowed Preacher. And I'm just starting to read that because I think it just recently came out. But one that's been, a, I'll, I'll say a children's book because that's about all the reading I do for pleasure. <laughs> uh, it's called A Very Thankful Prayer by Bonnie Rickner Jensen. And it's this fall-themed animal book that talks about gratitude and God. And I just think as far as like children's books that have a Christian spin, it's been one of the best ones that I've seen. And I just think it's a, a good, simple reminder of gratitude and, and uh, giving thanks to God for everything that we have. A very thankful prayer. Yep. Oh, okay. What is her name? Bonnie? Bonnie Rickner Jensen. Rickner Jensen. Okay. Off the... Put it in my uh, in my Amazon cart. <laughs> I love it for all the parents out there. Yeah, for all the parents. Well, I'm not a parent, but I'm definitely going to buy it. Uh, I yeah. love kids' books. Um, they oftentimes say a lot more than massive chapter books, and say it. absolutely. If, if you're looking for that that nugget of gold, that one thing, the ba- to what is it to name? Children's books do it so well. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh, the places you will go. Come on now. Right. <laughs> oh. Well, John, thank you again. And uh, I know we'll keep talking more about this for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much.